Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, a weekly interview show about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 77 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm very excited this week to bring you a chat with Jenny Hart. Yes, the one and only Jenny Hart, that woman based in Austin, Texas, who is very talented with a needle and thread. She is the founder of Sublime Stitching, a design company that she started back in 2001. And she basically created it with the mission of putting hand embroidery back on the map. And she did it. Her designs are they're hip, they're fresh. They're definitely a great alternative to the traditional needlework designs. However, there's a place for those too. But what Jenny's been able to do is really entice younger people to get a hoop, invest in some embroidery floss and some fabric and get stitching. I want to encourage you to stick around after the show because I'm going to tell you how you can win some goodies that the kind folks over at Sublime Stitching sent along. Also, I'm going to have a free download. So if you visit craftsanity.com, you'll find links to Jenny Hart's Sublime Stitching, some other things she has going. And you'll also find a download for a cool pattern that you can print out and uh, transfer to fabric and get stitching. So even if you don't win the contest, there's a chance for all of you to try out one of Jenny's designs. Oh, you know what? One other thing. There's going to be a little bonus, a little song at the end. Yeah, she sings too. All right, let's get to that interview. Jenny, I am so, so excited to have you on the show because I've wanted you to be on the show for a really long time and I've had requests for you to be on the show. So this worked out really wonderfully. What were you waiting for? I am. What was I waiting for? Well, it's funny because Mary, Mary contacted me. I was just kind of like, are you kidding me? Jenny would want to be on my show. Oh, I, mean, I, was, I was, yeah, yeah. I was really excited. I knew, I knew about it. Yeah. I hadn't heard it, but I, I knew about it. And when she asked, I was like, oh, yes, of course I'll do it. Yeah, so um, I thought that was really, that really worked out well. So, um, yeah, so it's great to have you here. And thank you. I'm just, you know, and I just want to say thank you to, to you, just on a personal level, for bringing embroidery back, sister. Oh. That was an awesome thing that you've done. Um, oh, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Well, it's, you know, <laughs> it's just so funny to me still that that kind of became like a goal of mine and and that I did it and that it seems to be working. So. It, it is definitely working. In fact, I'm on a big embroidery kick right now. Oh, cool. Yeah, my daughter, she's four and she's drawing little monsters in her notebook and mm-hmm. I thought, you know, those are just too cute to be sitting in a notebook. So I've been transferring them onto fabric, and I'm going to make a quilt for her. So, oh, how so I'm having fun doing that. But embroidery, now I look at everything, and I just want to stitch all over everything. So I can understand how this kind of can take over a person's it life. definitely does. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite combinations is children's drawings with stitching. And it's such, it's such a neat collaboration. And, you know, when I started embroidering, I always want to explain that I, I, I'm not an expert in embroidering. I'm just very, very passionate about it. And when I started stitching for the first time about, oh, let's see, um, well, it was the summer of 2000, you know, so I'm still really, I'm not one, I'm not like a lifelong needle worker, 
you know, when I started and I just got so obsessed with it and started seeing everything as potential for embroidery and wanting to stitch on everything and was stitching on everything, you know, there reached a point where I thought, okay, is my focus going to shift here? <laughs> you know, like, what if I start, I started this company, what if, you know, what if my, my focus shifts and, and, and it hasn't, you know, I still find it just as, as enriching and rewarding to do and I still feel like I haven't you know, nearly explored all the things that I would like to to do with it. It's really, um, it's just, it's it's really held my attention for a long time. Well, that's wonderful news because if you're coming on the show to say you're not going to be stitching anymore, I'd be like, oh no, oh <laughs> no, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are other things that that I I would like to do. There are other crafts that I wish I had time for. And uh, one of the things that I'm I'm doing right now that's actually not craft related is I've been blogging for a wonderful blog called Dinosaurs and Robots. Yeah, is, I did see that. That's yeah, pretty I love cool. it because I, I go, oh, there, you know, there's more to me than just embroidery. I get to I get to blog about my other interests and and uh, that's really been fun. Now, really how long is that going to be going on? I don't know. It seems kind of open ended. I think in, until they get sick of me. I think okay. Until they say, you know, okay. Okay, kid, we've had enough of your... Well, that could be a good long time, though, so that's that's great. We'll see, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that we can kind of see some other, the other side of you as well. Um, we'll try and get beyond, um, you know, embroidery, but I do want to obviously spend a great deal of time on that. We'll work our way to the present. If you can kind of start with your childhood, I mean, how crafty were you? I mean, was this something you learned from relatives, um, just other kind of artistic tendencies, or where did this all start? Well, I, I was really, really lucky to grow up in a household where, um, you know, my father had been a photographer, and in my lifetime, he, this was before I was born, as I was growing up, he was an industrial and educational filmmaker. And um, he worked for a company in Lawrence, Kansas called Centron Films. Okay. And this was a company that made um, etiquette films and social awareness films. Oh, yes. And, you know, like... Janie's going out on a date. Should she button the top button of the person? You know, <laughs> Did he make you watch those before oh. you went on a date? Well, I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen some of them. They were, they were the films that were shown in elementary schools. And my brothers, um, when they were like five years old, are in some of those movies. And my brothers wow. would see them in school and tell the teacher, you know, like, that's me. And the teacher didn't believe them. And, oh, my goodness. Um, and then, uh, and so, but my father was always very creative. Um, but he also was actually in marketing, and it, which is something I didn't realize until I started Sublime Stitching because I started really drawing upon what I had learned from him about marketing and advertising because he was always he was always commenting on marketing and advertising and saying, hey, Jen, you know, that commercial you just watched, do you remember what it was about? And I would go, no, actually, actually I don't. And he would tell me how they could have, you know, how they missed an opportunity to make a good pun or what a catchier tagline might have been. And it was kind of like a game. It was wow. really funny. It was great. Yeah. So you um, file that information away. Yeah, you know, so I always looked at advertising and marketing as something that didn't have to be evil, but could be really creative and artistic in the way that it could communicate with an audience in a non-invasive way, but as a form of entertainment and also be effective. So I really, really have enjoyed, that's something that I enjoyed doing is the marketing of the company. My mother studied art and was an art teacher, and, and so I was really lucky that um, my parents uh, always encouraged our creative pursuits and always gave us the resources to pursue them if we showed any interest. So I started taking drawing lessons from a very young age. I, you know, remember when I was five years old, my mom sent me off to a local museum to take drawing classes and art classes, and I always knew I wanted to be an artist. And I remember always being very driven to make things with my hands. I remember, um, you know, I liked to know how things were put together, and that was something. And I, I think 
crafting as a part of all of our childhoods, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. something that we all do at elementary school. And um, But I remember at home even trying to recreate craft projects that I made at school going, oh, I, I learned how to make that at school. Now I'm going to see if I can do it again on my own. Yeah, I would do that every time. I couldn't wait to get home and try it again. Yeah. Oh, really? That's so funny. I was totally nerdy about stuff like that. You had to keep lots of pipe cleaners on hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, those are the days, huh? The pipe cleaner days. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, and, and also we always had art books and photography books. And I had older brothers, and one of my brothers was just, you know, nuts for comics. And he had a, in his bedroom, he had literally stacks as tall as me of comics. And I would sneak in his room and read comics all the time. And, um, you know, which all makes it sound like I had this idyllic bohemian childhood. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a really small farming town where there wasn't a lot of exposure to the arts, and, and the majority of that came through my parents and my brothers and what was brought home. And where did you grow up exactly? I grew up um, on the Iowa-Illinois border. Um, I grew up in a really small farming town right outside the Quad Cities. And, you know, it's pretty isolated. It's really beautiful there. It's, I, I, we were there because my father worked for John Deere for my lifetime. He was, he was the head of their television and film department, you know, making films about tractors mm-hmm. after he made etiquette films. <laughs> um, and it's a beautiful place to grow up, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. You know, like I couldn't wait to move away from home because I knew there were things outside of, of that small town. And, and, yeah, so when I turned 18, I, I got out of there and went on to go do my thing. Yes, yeah, so where'd you go? I actually moved to Kansas City because I had decided that I wanted to go to the University of Kansas, which is where my parents had lived when my father worked for Centron. And uh, But I wanted to uh, take a year off, and I wanted to establish my residency. So I lived and worked in Kansas City for a year, and that was a really happy year. I had a wonderful time there. And then after a year, I moved to Lawrence and went to school for a couple of years. And then, um, and I was studying at the University of Kansas for, I was a double major in French and painting. And I took a year off to go uh, live and work in Paris as a nanny. Wow. Um, and I also because I wanted to become fluent in French. And so I, I was taking care of a child, and I didn't speak English the whole time I was there. And I was taking intensive grammar classes. And then I returned to the United States to finish up my degree. I finished a degree in French, and I dropped out of art school. Really? Um, and, uh, and then I, yeah, I, I took my time graduating. I think I was... No, I was. Uh, I don't remember how old I was when I graduated. <laughs> well, the point like, is, you graduated, right? I graduated. <laughs> I graduated and then ended up moving to Austin, Texas, and have been here ever since. So, what did you do right after college? Because you had this degree in French, you had an art background. <laughs> I worked as an emergency substitute school teacher. Oh my for goodness! A year. Now that seems to me like it would be a terrifying job because the substitutes. I know I didn't even go to a school in a rough area or anything, but the mm-hmm. substitutes would. I would think to myself. Oh, good Lord, please give me some other options besides that. Because I always feel terrible for these people because they just didn't seem like they were treated with respect. How was your experience? It was, it was um, well, you know, I look back on it fondly, but I was, <laughs> I was waking up at 6.30 in the morning with panic attacks. Oh, thinking, no. You know, oh, oh, phone, please don't ring. Because remember, I wasn't a substitute teacher. I was an emergency Oh, gee. So you would so have I'm, no notice at all. No. I'm the one that is put in front of a class 20 minutes beforehand and so I learned things like and and it was almost always kindergarten or first grade and I don't know why but I understand kindergartners like I understand the need for routine and ritual and 
right. You know, like, but Mrs. You know, but Mrs. Johnson puts the blue pencil in the pink cup when it's time for cookies. Oh, you know? they can be <laughs> completely fixated on stuff like that. That's right. Yeah. And I actually enjoy enjoyed that. So um, <laughs> I, I learned things like I would show up with name tags, and as the children walked in, they each got a name tag, so I'd know their names. And um, but I, I that's what I did um, before for about a year. Um, before we moved to Austin, we, we'd had a band, actually. My, my former husband and I uh, started a band, and uh, the band actually moved down to Austin. What was your band us. called? We were the Playthings. Okay. Now, how serious were you? About, I mean, did you guys have any kind of uh, record deal or anything? Or No, but we were, we were serious about yeah. it. We worked hard at it, and uh, we, we played regularly, and, um, and uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. We used to play at the old hole in the wall in Austin a lot. We played at the Red Eyed Fly, and um, you know we were we were good. We weren't great. We were fun, and uh, and I enjoyed it. But we stopped when when we didn't feel like doing it anymore. And we actually started a second band. And the I actually liked the second band a lot more. It was a uh, band was called the Hidden Persuaders. <laughs> And the music was really soft and sad and pretty, and they were a lot of songs that my husband and I wrote together. Um, and uh, and they were songs about they were songs about our marriage falling apart, and and his mother had died very unexpectedly. Oh, and geez. there were things that we were we were going through together and dealing with, and we're both still really really proud of that music. And actually, I just saw him the other day, and he said, you know, we really need to finish those recordings and. We have a lot of friends that let us know that they listen. They, they listen to that music, and actually, I go into the office, Sublime Stitching office, and you know, Mary and Jessica are listening to those recordings. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's a nice, yeah, it's some work that I'm I'm, I'm proud of, and I hope other people get to hear. So, some did you guys that. sing together on on these recordings, or how, how did that? Or what did you play? What instrument did you play? Uh, I played bass guitar, and um, he uh, he 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 always was the lead singer. He has a great voice, and I was coaxed into singing um, at times when I wasn't real crazy about doing it. But, you know, there were songs that he wrote. There were songs that I wrote. There were songs our drummer wrote, Mindy. Our, actually, my next-door neighbor, John, played keyboard and uh, lap steel, and he's just a, a brilliant musician. I mean, I consider all of us kind of fooling around, but he, he really knew what he was doing, and he really brought some beautiful, beautiful elements to the songs. And I, I listen to, I still listen to the music. Well, really... that might, that, that kind of says something to me. If everyone, if people are still listening to it, people are still talking about it, then perhaps you guys should do a real recording. Like, well, we we have some of, we have some of our recordings up on MySpace. Oh, um, you'll have to people... send me the link so we can. I'll send you I the link. I'll send you know. the link so people can. Yeah, can and if you have a favorite song, I can maybe have you guys play us out with a song. If there's one that you're particularly fond of that you. Oh, like to... I would love that. Yeah. yeah, and then that would kind of give people a sense. See, we're already getting some serious definition going here that. Um, outside the world of embroidery, you know. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, I think that's. I think it's. Well, I admire too anybody that's um, can sing or you know play an instrument well because I got as far with my electric guitar as getting the electric guitar, taking overpriced lessons from a, a stoner, and then uh, feeling cool <laughs> walking past my workplace when I was 16. I would put my guitar in the case and I would walk past the window. I would always park, so I'd have to walk past the window. So my little coworkers at the pizza place would see, uh -huh. "Wow, Jennifer must be kind of closet cool," you know, because I mean they couldn't <laughs> tell they couldn't guitar. tell from wor working with me how cool I was. But I felt. Never have I felt cooler, I think, than um, 16 walking with this guitar. And then people would say, hey, you want to play something for us? And I'd be like, no, that's right. I, yeah, I don't want to play oh, in front of, of people right now. But I was terrible, and I never got any better, and I still Aww. have a guitar in my basement. Someday.
Well, someday. I want to rock guitar, out someday. Guitar, I, don't know, see, I don't know how to play guitar, but I loved to play bass because I used to take cello lessons. Oh, yes. And so my thinking was, I was like, oh, well, maybe it's like a cello. Maybe I can play. And I, and I <laughs> loved, and, you know, and I really loved playing bass guitar. Like, I wasn't, <clears throat> I have, I, I really wish I knew how to play guitar, and any time I've tried it, I just, it's, it's it's hard and it hurts your fingers. Yeah, and yeah. so does bass. I I'd love to. I wish I I'm, I secretly want to be a drummer. Yeah, I want to be a rock star. I, I mean, I seriously I want to <laughs> sing and I can't sing. I can't. I mean, seriously, I cannot sing even a note. And I I think if I could do one thing that I can't do now. Um, well, actually, it makes it sound like I can do everything now, but, but if there's, like, one superpower that I wish I could, and I do consider singing a superpower, by the way, I would want to sing. I mean, seriously, and they'd never get me off the stage because I wouldn't but stop. But do you do karaoke? Oh, no. No, no. Oh, why not? Not really. I mean, I think there'd have to be some serious, um, people would have to be under the influence, and then I'd feel like, okay, maybe now I can go up and no one's going to remember how I sing. <laughs> yeah, you should, you should try it because, I mean, that's where all bets are off. I mean, that's see, I true. love that's karaoke. True. Yeah, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah, well, at least I think it sounds like you have a much better voice. I mean, if you're actually in a band and singing, even back up, yeah. you know. But yeah, I played clarinet with my legitimate instrument, and um, that is a far cry from a from an electric guitar. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> a little harder to integrate into a little it. harder rock band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little a little bit. So so yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if that I'll ever realize my uh, rock star dream, but. Um, yeah. Well, oh, you just might. You, never, you never know. I'll never say never to anything here. But, but yeah, so that's cool. So you're into this music. And so that's really something that you were actually writing. I mean, you guys were writing songs about what was going on in your life. I mean, so it was very, um, you know, because it sounds like you said you, you're divorced then. Is that what you said? Yeah, we, we split and, yeah. Um, amicably. And, um, you know, but that was, um, you know, he, we went through a lot, of, a lot of stuff together, you know, in terms of, you know, and it's something that... Um, you know, I talk about, because it relates to how I started embroidering, it's something that I, I like to talk a little bit about, not because I want to, um, I want to, you know, present myself as a tragic figure. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people in my family either, either died or went through very serious illnesses within a very short period of time, and that was something that I had really had a hard time coping with at one point. Well, yeah, jeez. And, yeah, and, and I, I, I always I like to mention it because it really had so much to do with the role that embroidery played in my life, and, and because all of us go through those difficulties in one way or another mm -hmm. and, and have to find ways to cope with yeah. them, and that was why showing, turning other people onto embroidery became so important to me, because I benefited from it um, on, on such a personal level. I mean, it really carried me through very, very difficult times when, uh, you know, my mother-in-law had, had unexpectedly passed away, my, uh, my father was in and out of hospitals all of my life. Uh, my mother became sick, and I just, I, I, I really think if I hadn't discovered embroidering, I'm not exactly sure what I might have, you know, what might have been the thing that got me through that time, something, yeah. you know, that was a healthy uh, an outlet for me, and it was so soothing and so relaxing, and um, I hadn't found anything else like it. So what led you to it? What was the first thing, I mean, first time you picked up embroidery? Well, you know, I... I looked at. I started noticing embroidery when I was still in college, and I remember thinking it was a really beautiful medium that you know I didn't know how to do. But wouldn't it be neat if like you used embroidery to do like giant portraits or nudes or something that you don't typically see it used for? Right. And uh, and by this I mean the type of you know American handcraft embroidery that you see on pillowcases. Right. And embroidery encompasses so many things. Right. But I you know I thought. 
I don't know how to do it. I bet it's really boring. I bet it would drive <laughs> me crazy. I don't know anyone who does it that can teach me. And so I, I actually had it as an idea that I carried around for several years. And I, embroidery kept, you know, I kept noticing it. I guess it's like when they say, you know, you're pregnant, the whole world is pregnant. Well, I was interested <laughs> in embroidery, so everything was embroidered. Right. I kept seeing it. Um, but the thing that really kind of, the thing that really opened my eyes to it the most dramatically was, um, you know, my, um, uh, I went to the Glore Psychiatric Museum, which is no longer there. I mean, or it's no longer there in its past location. This is a museum. It was like on the register of, you know, the United States' most bizarre museums to visit. And it really was. It was very, very strange. But they had, at the end of the museum, a gallery that was made up of artwork that had been done by previous pa patients. Uh, and so these are, this is um, artwork done by people with mental disabilities of varying kinds. And one of, one of the pieces was uh, a baby blanket, and it was covered with embroidered words. And the words weren't done very neatly. They just kind of ran all over the place, kind of like a um, stream of consciousness. And, and, and they were all different colors, and they were tidbits of poetry or random thoughts. And it was just... It was just one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And it was an embroidery. And it was also done by somebody who was having difficulties. And the embroidery seemed to me to say, you know, this is something you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. And this is, here's the thing that you have been wanting to see, and that's embroidery in a way that you've never seen it before. And, and it really, but it still took me a couple, you know, a few years. It was the summer when my mother was recuperating from breast cancer, and I was at home, and I was bored, and I was depressed, and I went, oh, this is the time when I should ask her to teach me. I have the time on my hands, and I bet she has everything here for me to do it. And um, so I got a piece of scrap sheet, and she had to show me how to put fabric on a hoop. She had to show me where to start with my needle, and she had to show me my first stitches. And I started with, I had just outlined a portrait of her on, on cloth, and I said, I want to do a portrait of her. And I didn't know if I'd finish it, and I started stitching, and I was instantly hooked. It was so soothing, it was so relaxing, that I started working on that portrait three to four hours every night, and I started embroidering for three to four hours every day for the next four or five years. Wow. That's how I started. That's great. And how did that portrait come out? Um, really nice. It's, I turned it into a pillow. A friend of mine, my friend Melissa, helped me um, finish it as a pillow. And it's in my office uh, next to one that I did of my dad. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you have pictures of both those pillows, but I think they'd be great to see. I do. I have a portrait. I have a uh, picture of the one of my mom on Flickr. Okay. I'm actually in the process of Flickr. I have problems with Flickr. I love Flickr, and I, I don't always know how to organize things. And <clears throat> I have the portrait of my mother up if people would like to see it. Okay. I, I've opened up a second Flickr account so I can put my artwork on it so that I have um, things that are sublime stitching in one spot and things that are things that I create that are, are not like craft patterns right. or craft kits um, a little uh, apart from that. So, um, And I'm just now kind of building that out. I also just started, I started a, a, a blog, like I, I need to start a blog, actually really did. I started a blog called Embroidery as Art um, awesome. so that I had a place to showcase my work and tell people when I'm having gallery shows, but also to kind of bring attention to the things that people are doing in more and more experimental ways with embroidery and be able to talk about it. That seemed a little more appropriate than sublime stitching, which is, you know, which is, I, I want to kind of keep the two separate, not that, not that they, they shouldn't blend and intermix, which I think they do, but I also like to, you know, kind of 
kind of shine the spotlight on, on separate things. Yeah, yeah, well, it sounds like it's that sounds like a wonderful new blog. I, I haven't uh, checked that out yet. So when did you start it? Well, I put it up yesterday. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> All right. So I don't feel so bad about that. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have no idea how relieved I am. Um, <laughs> and you're not refreshing my pages every I'm five like, minutes. I'm like, geez, I haven't seen that. Geez, why don't I know about this, Jennifer? You didn't do your research yet. Geez, there's no pressure to keep up with what's going on online. Oh my gosh, it's like it, you could we could be looking online 24/7 and still not catch up. I mean, it's crazy. It, uh, it's so funny. I was talking to my mom last night, and she said, you know, I, I get on the Internet, and I just start looking at things, and, and I, I could just spend all day on that. <laughs> I know. If we had a dollar for all the hours we've spent, um, we'd be rich people. Um, no kidding. Yeah. Well, I, I love the story of how you got into you know, embroidery because I think it's beautiful in the sense that you turn to something that had, you, you, you'd been wanting to do this for years, it sounds like, um, and um, to turn to it at a point in your life where you felt like, um, you know, you really needed something tangible, you know, to keep your hands busy. I know in roughest times in my life, I've always turned to something crafty, whether it be the knitting or the stitching or something. I, I always feel better, and I feel like yeah. I have control of at least what's in the hoop, what's on the needles, um, and it's... I mean, because everything else can be spiraling out of control, and we right. all go through patches like that, and it's so helpful, and it's healthy. That's the emphasis. I mean, because I, I always think, geez, if I didn't craft, what would I do? And it terrifies me to think about it, because I don't think it would be all very positive, you know, if I wasn't. Right, right. You'd, right. You'd, there are other activities I mean, that, you know. because you think about, we all, I think all of us who craft on a regular basis or make art on a regular basis, we have kind of an addictive personality where it's like we, we like to do these things. We have to do these things every day. Right. And, um yeah, I would. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm addicted to yarn and, 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 yes. and, and well, craft supplies. You know, yeah. It engages. I think it engages your head and your hands in a way that's very meditative, mm -hmm. and because you're thinking about what you're doing, and so that gives your mind something to focus on. And and I would I would have that experience when I was embroidering. I would I would immediately feel relaxed, and while I was stitching, I would feel my thoughts. Um, organize themselves in a way that I, I couldn't do when, you know, your brain just kind of run, runs wild mm -hmm. and is a jumble of thoughts. And, and um, I would be able to think about things in a more, um, a, a calmer way and kind of sort things out or not think. I mean, who's able to not think? I mean, that's kind of the, you know, so it, it became a, a form of meditation, a way for me to really relax. And, you know, there are needle workers who've known this for years, and they're going, yeah, duh. <laughs> and, 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 and that's why that's really was the main, one of the main motivations for Sublime Stitching was I went, there are people out there just like me who don't know this, that they've never considered trying it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they don't consider trying it is because of the stigma or because of the lack of updated resources and the inspiration to do it. And, and I would like to see other people benefit as much from doing it as, as, as I did. And, um, and gosh, wouldn't it be fun to, um, you know, to drop d design patterns? I would, you know, that's one of the things that I love to do is draw and um, that would that seemed like so much fun. So. so after you did that first pillow um, with the the portrait of your mom, um, what was your next? What did you do right after that? What was your next project? I did. It was either my father or my mother-in-law. Okay. The first three projects I did were, were were the parents, and then you know by that time people were you know family and friends were making requests, and and then I started maybe accepting commissions here and there. I think Edith Piaf was one of the next portraits that I did. Mm -hmm. I really quickly turned my attention to doing, um, uh, I did portraits of Candy Bar, who was um, a legendary Texas uh, Texas stripper, <laughs> who had a, had a very colorful and, and very tragic life, and um, she was one of the first nudes that I, I did. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I just liked playing with the subject matter and um, and also, you know, using using embroidery as a medium for illustration. You know, I, 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 I used to do a little bit of knitting, but what drew me to embroidery was that you made pictures with it, and uh, I liked learning different types of stitches and applying them for different illustrative effects. Um, that was really interesting to me, um, and still is. Um, you know, not just using embroidery as a means to outline something, but actually using um, more advanced stitches and combinations of stitches to create um, to create textures and to depict depict different different things. So well, that's definitely a, a hallmark of your work because you do that very well, and I think. Oh, it, well, thank you. Well, and it adds makes things look very interesting because not only do you see the portrait of the person, but if you look closer at the stitching, it's really uh, fun to see. Oh, wow, she's really combined everything here. Oh, so yeah, you're you. not just hanging out with the back stitch. I mean, you're. <laughs> you're <laughs> Busting out. You're busting out with all kinds of fancy stuff there. And yeah. how, how soon were you able to pick all that up? I mean, was that in your first portrait? Did you use a variety of stitches, or did you um, stick to some basic stuff early on? I got really hungry to learn new stitches after I did the first portrait. The first portrait I did was, um, was, has, uh, has some French knots, and it has, um, and is mostly in split stitch, and split stitch is still my favorite to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just really got quickly, I wanted to expand my my stitching vocabulary. There were things I wanted to do and I didn't know how to do them. And so it was both a combination of immediately, you know, trying to get my hands on any needlework book that I could to learn stitches. That was where I really realized there weren't resources for someone like me. There weren't books that said, this is a hoop. This is why you need a hoop or why you might not want to use a hoop. And this is how you put your fabric on it. (laughs) The books were like 30 or 40 years old or spoke to an older generation where it was safe to assume that, you know, they knew the basics and you didn't really need to cover them. And so for someone like me, you were left completely in the dark. You had to find somebody to show you. And and so I got really hungry for learning new stitches, but then I also saw, wow, there's really, and also the instructions, if if I read instructions for something that I was learning how to do, I thought, man, those instructions make this sound so much harder than it is. You know, I know how to do that stitch. It's a lot easier than that. You could explain that in a much better way. <laughs> and, 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 so, and also there just was this very idea that everything had to be perfect and, and that it, anything had to be done. You know, like this has to be, you must finish your stitch this way. And I thought, well, that's just so off-putting. I mean, right, what about just trying it and playing with it? And, and I was also inventing, you know, I was also doing stitches that, seemed to me, I was like, wow, what if you did it this way? And then I would go and try and find it in the book, and I'd be like, wow, that stitch isn't really in many books. And most of those are just because they're variations on basic stitches, but, you know, they didn't really seem to deviate a whole lot, and I, I, uh, I don't know. So right I away, just, it sounds like you saw room for... For, for Jenny Hart to enter the, the I, I did. I saw, I, I said, there needs, I, saw, I, I started researching. I went, I cannot believe that you can't buy embroidery patterns of martini drinks or tattoo patterns <laughs> or cheeky pinup girls. Are, are you kidding? There, there must be. <laughs> there has to be a company that offers that. So, so was, how quick, so then were you working a day job at the time when you were doing, you first got into the embroidery and you're doing this three and four hours a day? I mean, what, what were you doing to sustain yourself? Um, yeah, I was working as a, um, I was working, I was archiving works on paper for the oh, Department yeah, of, of Prints and Drawing okay. in a museum. I actually did this work at two different museums. I used to work at the Spencer Museum at the University of Kansas, which has one of the most incredible collections in the country that people don't know about. Um, if you love the Varga Girls, they're there. Wow. Um, the uh, Esquire magazine left their entire collection to the University of Kansas um, Spencer Museum, and that includes the Varga Girls. So they have, and I'm not talking just specific areas, I mean across the board of 
you know, major important works of art and artists are represented throughout their collection. It's just one of the most you know, amazing museums in the country. Um, and also, the same goes for the Blanton Museum of Art at the U University of Texas. I, I worked there. Um, that's what I was doing, and, you know, I, I, I loved my job. I just wasn't being, I wasn't being paid a livable wage, and it was a dead-end job. I couldn't advance. I couldn't do anything, but it did give me the time and did not provide the stress that a lot of jobs do right. um, that allowed me to come home and do what I wanted to do. And... Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was so hooked on embroidering that if we weren't practicing the band, I mean, once I started embroidering, I mean, instantly I went in the other room and I started stitching or or I was, um, or I was working on my company. And, um, and so how did, how did Sublime Stitching start? Um, Sublime Stitching started as a blog. And then, you know, I knew what I wanted to do with a company. I knew that I wanted to um, design hot iron transfer patterns, which took me several years of researching um, to figure out how to, how to make and manufacture. And um, once I got the solution for putting together the company, you know, like building a website, um, what the name of the company was going to be, which actually came to me by, was something that, I sat down, I was like, I think I'm going to use a blog to start showing people about my embroidery. And um, I was blogging, which was what really gave me the, um, made me feel like, you know, I could learn HTML and probably build a website really, really easily. Um, and to this day, my website is hand-coded in HTML. I don't use Dreamweaver or anything. It's insane. It's, we're, we're building a new website, but I completely built the website by hand. Do you like, like I, doing HTML? I mean... It seems yeah. like that's the hard way. That's the hardest way to do it. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, my husband hooked me up with WordPress, and I'm like, rock on. I can do this in a couple <laughs> a couple clicks of the mouse. And Actually, I don't even use a mouse. But anyway, a couple clicks, and I'm there, you know. No, I kind of geeked out on, like, writing code and stuff. Well, good for you. That's, that's I, awesome. I'm not really good at it, but I just, anyway, but I, I can't do that anymore. It's totally impractical. I mean, it's long since. <laughs> you have so much more time to stitch now. That's right. <laughs> so I, um, I had, uh, the company was begun. Uh, on a loan for my parents of a thousand dollars, and I had to account for every dime. Um, <laughs> it had to cover the cost of manufacturing the product, um, my postage, um, supplies to ship the product. All of that was accounted. My first print ad for two hundred dollars. Everything was accounted for. Wow. And um, so I think I ran my first print ad in Juxtapose magazine. Actually, um, I think it was one of their business card ads, so that got the ball rolling. Bust Magazine, um, I, I really have to give props to Bust Magazine because they really are the ones that, um, they were the first to publish my work, and I asked them if they would, um, instead of, they ran it as a full-page illustration, um, which accompanied an article about 9-11. Uh, I did an embroidery of a, uh, to accompany an article about a woman who enlisted after 9-11. Um, and I asked Bust if instead of crediting the work to me, if they would run a byline with my website. And they did both. And that was the first opportunity I had to drive people to my website and see what I was doing. Yeah, awesome. And it was great, yeah. So that, that was how I started it. And just, you know, telling people about it, being excited about it, linking. Um, you know, this was around the same time that um, I met, first met uh, Tina of Sparklecraft, Tina Sparkles and Jennifer Perkins of Naughty Secretary Club. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I... I met them um, before I officially launched Sublime Stitching um, because I saw, you know, that these were some like-minded, crafty entrepreneurs in Austin, and I wanted to meet them, and we got together, and we just started 
you know, talking about how excited we were about our businesses and our websites and sharing ideas and how much we wanted to leave our day jobs. And we all left our day jobs within a month of each other. We all kind of grew together, and it was great. It was um, really exciting, and that was how the Austin Craft Mafia really yeah. came about. Yeah, so what year was that when you guys got started? At um, let's see, official, I think the official start date of the Austin Craft Mafia was around 2003. Um, but Jennifer, Tina, and I had been hanging out before that, talking and meeting other people and kind of forming a group. And, um, and, it, and it was really, um, you know, we took out uh, an ad together. Um, we, we said, hey, you know, if we, we pull, together, pull together our money, we could afford like a full-page ad as opposed to what we could afford individually. And so we took out our first combined full-page ad in, in Venus. And we, we call I don't know, they're going to kill me for telling you this. We call ourselves the craft pack. And if somebody, has, if somebody has that issue, I think it's later Kinney on the cover. Um, and it's, uh, it's still where it's black and white. There's a, there's a full-page ad with the three of us calling, calling ourselves the crap pack and <laughs> talking about what we make. And, um, but it was Tina's idea to make it an official group, and it was her idea to call it the Austin Craft Mafia. And um, we actually met last week, and we still, we still meet as a group and, you know, talk about the state of affairs with the craft mafias. And, yeah, and uh, how, how, how often do you guys meet? Um, well, we used to meet once a month, and that became once every other month, and now it's kind of like an, as an as-needed and, and when we, you know, when we can. Um, and, and it was wonderful. I mean, we had great – we go around and talk about what's going on in each of our lives, and, and all of us are very busy, um, and not all of us um, – not all of the members of the group are still running their own businesses. And, um, and we all decided that, um, you know, that for us there was not going to be a, well – you know, you can't be in the craft mafia if you're not doing your business anymore. We decided once Austin Craft Mafia, always Austin Craft Mafia. And, you know, we're really a group that are just growing and kind of going through life together, and we still serve to, you know, support one another and, and see where we're, what we're doing. And, and um, you know, we, we uh, take a real interest in the other craft mafias and kind of serve as an organizational hub for them. Yeah, but so how did that start where people other, because I think I actually joined the craft mafia in Grand Rapids and that disbanded right after I joined. I tried oh. not to take it personally. Um. Well, you know, we, well, first of all, there was such huge interest in, in the name that we wanted to protect, we wanted to protect the name. We right. wanted to make sure that somebody didn't come out with a book called Craft Mafia that didn't have anything to do with what a craft mafia was about right. or, um, you know, you know, and then, then there was a TV show and, um, and uh, so we never really wanted to, um, you know, we never really wanted to dictate rules. We just wanted to kind of loosely say, look, a craft mafia should at least be this. And, you know, this is how we function and we'd like to serve as a model um, and, you know, and go have fun. And, you know, we did, we did end up getting to the point where through legal, for legal reasons we had to trade, we trademarked the name. We asked that groups license usage. And, um, and like I said, that, that was not with um you know, it wasn't with any desire to, you know, clamp down on people or, right. or say you have to do this or that. And I find that when I meet people in other craft mafias, one of their, they want to ask me, how do you guys do it? How do you organize and what do you do? Because it's so hard for us to get together and it's, um, we really struggle with our agenda. And I just look at them and say, so do we. You know, we, we, it's hard for us to get together and find the time. And, um, you know, we just um, are constantly reassessing our priorities and, and you know, it's this, it's no different. We, we, we've never intended to be like we're the we're the perfect group of women. That <laughs> right. yes, of course we we always find time for you know it's, it's right. Hard. Well, it sounds like too when you started this, the the time the point you were in your career was you guys were all the three the three of you came together and 
kind of found each other at a time when you're all like just starting out and um, as you became more successful obviously you don't have every Tuesday night to dedicate to right you know, yeah but it was really about like what's happening for me and how can you know how can it, how can we help each other you know we kind of made a you know I think Jennifer I remember saying you know she said hey I'm getting interviewed by this magazine I'll be sure to tell them about you and so that was kind of a thing where you know when I got interviewed um, you know and that's also a great you know, that's really helpful to, to magazines and editors is, is give them some tips of who else they might like to talk to. Right, and, right. It's, and it feels really good to be able to support people that you want, you want to support right. and, um, and help promote them. So that was, that was a nice thing to be able to do and to feel, feel you know, power in numbers and be able, to, be able to do something. Well, it's also some accountability, too, because you know, like, if you say, yeah, I have to get this, prom- I'm trying to get a promotional plan together, I want to get my business plan finalized, and if no one's checking in with you to see how that's going... Um, <laughs> it's harder to get motivated, you know. So right. if you have like you're meeting with some women saying, "Hey, yeah, I did this this week. What'd you do?" You know. Right. It exactly. Helps. And and defining like we we have defining roles in the group. Like one person is responsible for, you know, looking at markets that we want to do. One person is our treasurer. Um, I was legal liaison. Um, I was a person who communicated with our lawyer and would you know address concerns and um, yeah stuff like that. So. Um, Well, I do kind of have a question along these lines. um, Now, I started a craft club here in Grand Rapids back in Uh September, and it's very informal. Like, we don't have anything official. I've collected no money. I mean, it's all... You know, when you get to a point, though, where you're like, man, we really want to do something, you need some cash, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what did you do? I mean, what what is the first step for people if they want to start a club in their town? I mean, do you, you have to, you know, kind of to make it legit, you know? Well, I mean, what, by legit, what do you mean? Well, well, I mean, you can't, I, what I don't want to do is start collecting money from people and then have it not be an official, like, did you declare it as, like, kind of a business status? Or what oh, did I you, see what you mean. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're, if you're asking for people to, you know, pay dues, there you, you feel like, well, there better be a reason. So, for well, example, yeah, yeah. For, for us, we, um, we started collecting dues as a, as a mere matter of fact that we were the, you know, like, uh, Jessie is our manager, and she communicates with the craft mafias. And we, you know, we maintain a website that makes sure it's updated with all the groups. And there were real costs for us associated with that. We were having to go to a lawyer and, ha- you know, have trademark filed and have licensing agreements drafted. And um, and there were real costs associated with just dealing with all of the groups. And so we talked about it, and we said we really need to collect dues from them. And it was something that we were very, very hesitant to do. And we really, really were careful about how we communicated to groups why this was necessary. So I think you just have to look at, well, wh- why, why do you need to do that? Um, if, it, if it's a real necessity, um, I think people understand that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and I think it's how you communicate it to them. And also what they get in, in return. And, um, you know, I think, uh, um, I think we're, um, you know, the, the craft mafia, I think they'll be okay with me saying this, um, I think the craft mafia has decided that we want to be we want to be a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. Um, we've felt, you know, if we're collecting dues, we don't. We've never wanted groups to think that we were making money off them. Right. We don't. We right. don't seek to. Um, I think if you just can communicate all of those things, and if you have real costs. Yeah, um, I think we've been doing some. I've been doing some workshops, and where I have the public can come for free, and I've got art, artists to do things for free. But what I'm finding is I'm really limited, and artists barely make any money as it is. Yeah. And I feel bad saying, "Hey, can you come teach a bunch of people how to do something for free?" 
you know, and I can't bankroll it all myself, you know, so, right. yeah, it's just come down to a matter of that, but it, it gets to the point where then it becomes a whole different monster, you know, when you start making it all official. Well, as you know, you were the one liaison with the attorney. It's, yeah. it's no longer just a group of women getting together and chatting it up, yeah. you know, it becomes work, you know, so, yeah, it's a fine line, but those are great insights, and, you know, we can do a little more research. Well, I do think, you know, I do think people are, I think people are, are scared to ask for payment for their work or their services. And I think it's just something that you have to get comfortable doing and, and to be reasonable about it and, most importantly, to learn how, you know, to know, you know, or find the person you're, in your group who's maybe the best spokesperson for that, the person who might um, know the best way to communicate that to, to people. And people don't, they don't always understand, you know. It's, you know, when you're dealing with the public at large, you're always going to encounter someone who's, who's unhappy or maybe doesn't quite understand why you're doing it. And um, it takes a lot of, a lot of patience and, um, but it, it, you also have to, you know, I have a hard time knowing when to draw the line and say, you know, it's really not my responsibility to explain to this person why <laughs> this is necessary. Right. I always want to because I want things to, I want things to be clear and I don't want there to be misunderstanding. Right, but, and you want everyone to be happy. I mean, it's, it, it's great if everyone can be happy. That doesn't always happen, but we try. You've had a couple books, or actually three, is it three books now? Yes, I have three here. titles out with yeah. Chronicle Books. And so how did this, um, I guess, we, you started your business, that was 2001, when you officially started this business. Um, how long did it take um, for your first book came out? Um, I think uh, I was extremely fortunate in that um, Chronicle approached me. Awesome. Um, my whole, the whole story of how I got how I got published. Actually, I wrote as a column for my column on, on Venus called Crafting a Business. Um, Is that a monthly column or, week, or how, how often are you posting over there? It, it's a monthly column. Okay. Um, uh, I'm trying to keep it monthly. I, as soon as I got, just before I got on the phone with you, I sent off this month's column. I'm a little bit behind. Okay. Um, but uh, let's see, I think, I think Chronicle originally approached me in 2002. And um, and they had a series of craft kits, and they knew that they wanted to come out with an embroidery kit, and they approached me as the person to do the designs um, and author it. And, and it, was, it was so successful, they said, hey, let's do a book. <laughs> and so we did a book, and then we just came out with the craft pad. So these which I just got a chance to see today. Which what's is, that? I just got a chance to see it today. It's oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you, Mary, yeah. I were talking about awesome. that. Yeah. Oh, good. And, um, yeah, and this is just kind of goes along with, I mean, because Sublime Stitching, the hundreds of hip embroidery patterns and how-to, that is, like, jam-packed with pretty much any motif you can think of that you might want to embroider is in here. And then, of course, you would think that, and then you look at your new one, um, Craft Pad, and there's even more. Um, well, so. I think the Craft Pad, I like to say that the Craft Pad has more, like, a little more um, intricate yeah, and more larger detail. format yeah. designs. yeah. And the Sublime Stitching book really offers a lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of those designs were actually designed um, to get uh, for children, not exclusively, but I had so many people saying, hey, I would love something that my, my child or my little boy could do. So right. that's why it has lots of very simple designs in it and, and lots of baby stuff. Yeah, I, I love working with Chronicle Books. I'm, I'm totally thrilled to, to be one of their authors. I'm working on three more projects with them right wow, now. So these aren't all strictly books. They're smaller are things. Are they all embroidery-related? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we like Chronicle. We, we play nice together. I, I, really, I really enjoy them. I, I love what they do, and, and that's, been, that's been really fun for me. Yeah, they've had a consistently good lineup of um, craft 
their craft lineup is really great. So, yes. so yeah. That, well, hey, if something works for you, you got to stick with it. You know. That's so, right. for those who haven't had a chance to see your latest book, anything else you want them to know about it? What do I want them to know about it? Well, I wish that I, I only that I wish I could provide them with more finished examples. You know, I know that I know that people really would like to see stitch and color choices, and I'm I'm working really hard to find ways to to provide examples so that they can see them. You know, but no, it's just it's it's a pad with lots of designs and it lots of design. It was great. It was great for me to be able to kind of cram as many different themes in one thing as possible that people have been asking for for so long that I'm not always. Um, able to get out there, and uh, this was really fun. I, it was a really fun mix, and I, I really like. I just I like it. I like the way Chronicle put it together. It's a little folio, um, and uh, yeah, I had fun with it. I'm really pleased with how it turned out. And, and for those who want to get, um, I mean, obviously Sublime Stitching is a great resource for pretty much anything you could possibly need to embroider to launch your embroidery addiction. You know, just go to your website, and they can see everything. You have some new products, I understand, too. Yeah, we have. We now have glow-in-the-dark thread. I did read about that today as well. <laughs> that looks really fun. Yeah, I was. I looked really, really hard for it. There is a company that offers a glow-in-the-dark embroidery floss, but it only comes in pale green. And I looked really hard to find um, uh, multiple colors. So we've got a multicolor palette of, uh, of uh, glow-in-the-dark thread, and it really, it really does glow. <laughs> um, what else? Um, I, you know, people that are not familiar with with uh, Sublime Stitching, I always like to let them know that um, you know we're the we're the home of the starter kit, a kit that has everything in it that you need, not just a single project kit, um, but it has everything, and you can custom build it on the website. You can put your what project you'd like to make, like if you want to work on a pillowcase or a tea towel, and you can pick the style of patterns that go in it. And the other thing that I wanted to do with the company was um, assemble tools that you might not find just by walking into a regular craft store. They tend to kind of scatter tools about the store in a way that makes it not always easy for a, a beginner to know what to, how to put everything together. And so I've tried to put all those things together in one place and also put together the tools that crafters want and are looking for um, that are sometimes hard to find, like dressmaker's carbon paper is sometimes hard to come by, mm -hmm. and it tends to be chalky and rubs off. So, um, so like, I offer graphite, stuff like that. That's been fun for me to, um, to introduce. The product line is really based on the tools that I use for my own embroidery and the kind of workarounds and things that I preferred that, you know, might actually be designed for something else but work much better or work just as well for, for embroidery but aren't thought of as being used for that. Well, it sounds like basically you created the embroidery resource that you wish would have existed when you first found it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what it is. And that's a wonderful way to get inspired because you're like, man, I want all this stuff just assembled for my own personal use as well. So, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, you know, that's a motivating factor. Well, we're all thankful, too, because it's it's really great to be able to, I, I think it's the only place I know of where you can actually find every single thing you need, um, because I've spent a lot of time wandering from aisle to aisle in craft stores trying to find, you know, I actually asked, I was in the store recently, and I asked for the, the, the transfer um, paper, mm -hmm. and people were like, Do, does anyone even use that anymore, was the response from yeah. the sales clerk, and yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah, there's actually legions of people that, that, that are looking, that are for, looking it. for this, you know. Yeah, and and you know, and th there's one thing I do I do want to say, um, you know, talking about craft stores. One of the things that I'm I'm a big proponent of is uh, is supporting independent needlework shops. You know, there are these wonderful new craft stores that are cropping up all over the country, and they're they're great, and I'm super excited about them. There are also independent needlework stores that have been 
in business for 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. that are struggling to stay in business. And they've really had a hard time connecting with the DIY community and new crafters. And I really like to... I really try and um, work with independent needlework retailers to let them know that we are out here and that we, how they can connect with us and that they offer something um, that, that big stores don't offer, and that's knowledgeable needleworkers that can help you with your project that would be thrilled to show you how to do a stitch. Um, and so if, if you have that problem, if you're working on a project and you want some education, don't be scared to go into your local needlework shop and ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll be thrilled to help you. Well, and that's just it. We want to keep these stores open because if they all close down, then there's no place to go, you know, that's to right. get that, that knowledge that has been there. I know in, right. in Grand Rapids we had a, um, a shop closed not long ago, and it was really sad because, you know, you just can't. You can't get that kind of attention. Nope, you can't. It is, it is, it is sad. So, it's, do you um, do you sell your work in some of these, or do you just sell your stuff online? Oh no, we have um, we have uh, we have over 200 wholesale accounts. We we sell through retailers internationally, and uh, here in Austin, right down my street, is Ginger's Needle Arts and Framing, and um, she is. She's been in business for 20 years, and I went in her store, and I was scared to. I was scared to take my samples to her because I thought, she's going to look at this and go, I don't want your tattoo embroidery patterns. <laughs> and, and, um, and she was, um, you, know, and I, you know, and I have to say that I, I have gone into needle workshops where they kind of don't know how to approach younger stitchers, or they, they kind of, um, you know, it feels like you're walking into a girl's club a little bit, and and so it can be it can be intimidating, um, but Ginger is wonderful, and she was so excited, and she immediately started stocking all my patterns. Awesome. And um, you know, and she and I love to I love to visit with her because she is part of that that era of needleworking, and I'm part of the new era of needleworking, and we love to sit down and talk about. Um, the differences and kind of kind of learn things from each other. It's really it's really been a wonderful relationship. I've really loved getting to know her. Well, Jenny, what is it like to be in your shoes now? Because you know, obviously, eight years ago you started stitching, and probably, I mean, did you know right away that you wanted to make a business out of this? Or I mean, is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. I had an, I had the idea. I thought, you know, I think if you did like a hip embroidery design company, I bet it would be real. I would first of all, I bet I would really enjoy doing it. I mean, how can you, you know, how can you not get behind something like that? Right, right. And um, and I just, I really think if if I love doing this as much as I do, I know there have to be other people that would too. And um, you know, I I'm I'm continually amazed by the experiences that it brings me, the people that I get to meet because of it. I have to say the people that work for me now, I, for the first time in, you know, in the last year, I now have a staff of three people, Jordan, Jessica, and Mary, and they're incredible. I couldn't ask for a better group of people that are more supportive and helpful and just wonderful and make and relieve me of things that um, I can't do anymore. Um, you know, when just the responsibility, when it got, you know, it's, it's companies is not just about me. I mean, it involves so many other people and is, is really its own thing. And I'm really working for that. You know, I'm really in service to that. And, um, and they're, they're on board and, and here doing it with me. It's, I'm so grateful every day. I'm, I'm very, 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 very fortunate. Very yeah. Lucky. Well, how long were you a one woman show? I was doing it by myself. Oh, I mean, I think I, at least, at least a year before I think I brought in my first assistant and, you know, and I went, I had, um, I've had some really wonderful helpers. 
Um, but it was la in the last year that I went from one assistant to two assistant to a staff of three where two people are full-time and one person is part-time. But now we're just now talking about bringing in a fourth person. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm still very, I'm very, very busy, and that's my fault. You know, as soon as I clear my plate off, I just fill it up with more stuff. But um, I'm, you know, I'm able to, I, the thing that, that's hard for me is that I'm not able to um, participate in discussions online and answer emails personally as much as I, I used to be able to. And that's always hard for me when I know someone has written me and they're hoping or expecting a personal response, and, and I, I can't give it. It's, that's, that's, always, that's tough because I want to be able to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, email can take up a lot of time. Yeah, it can take a lot of time. Yeah, but it's, it's cool <laughs> to have that um, connection, though, so I can understand why you miss it. It's uh, important, and it was important from the beginning. I always wanted people to know who ran this company, you know, so that they could, you know, I think that's important. I, I like to know where my money's going, and I want to feel good about supporting something, and I wanted people to know that. I wanted to know, you know, who the man behind the curtain was and, um, and uh, you know, not make it seem some mysterious big big company. Uh, you know, let people know, hey, it's just me. So how do you still find time to, to make these fabulous art pieces to being, you know, displayed around town, or not around, around the country? I mean, you've, you've had your work all over the place, but how do you find time to do that? Well, I, I haven't. I haven't in the past couple of years. Yeah. I, that's been a real struggle for me. Is I, I simply haven't had the time to do my artwork. And lately, I've been getting back into it. Just and it's just it's discipline. I just tell myself, you know, you have to. If you have to make time to do your artwork, because that's what I'm. I'm happiest doing. You know, the 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 patterns and the company is for everyone else, and the artwork is for me. Right. It's the thing that when I do it, um, I'm not thinking. What does someone want to see? What would they think would make a good a good image? It's it's purely for me, and and it's hard. It's harder because when I first started embroidering, nobody knew what I was doing. No one was looking at it or thinking about it, and now they are. And so right, when I right. Do something. It's a little bit more like there are people looking over your shoulder, going, hmm, "What's she going to do next? What is it? But that's not that's not what I thought she'd do. <laughs> so it's, it's it's a challenge, but. I have no complaints. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're in a happy point in your life where things have really worked out well. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's hard, hard work, but yes, I'm I'm very I'm very happy right now. Um, it's but there are always new challenges. I mean, run, running a company is the hardest thing I've ever undertaken in my life, and um, it's it always you're always coming to a new stage in it where there are things that you might not know how to navigate through and. And, uh, you know, it's, but it's a, it's a constant education, and I, I enjoy that about it. Well, I, I congratulate you on your success because it's, it's really great to hear about, you know, a woman who started stitching for the first time in 2000 and in 2008 has three employees and thinking about hiring a fourth. And that's great. <laughs> it's really great. Homegrown, handmade business. Well, thank it's you. Wonderful. And I thank, thank you. I mean, and everyone who, I mean, I, it wouldn't be without the people who support it and are excited about it. And, and you know, which I thrive on. I, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled when people let me know or write me that they just discovered it and they just started embroidering. It just, it makes me really, really happy. Yeah. Well, I, and it's going to be fun too, because Mary sent along some goodies that we can, um, I'm going to be doing Ooh. some giveaways things. Now, oh, I usually good. ask people questions, like I'll, I'll say, you know, post, I'll ask a question and have people post uh, comments on the blog in response to the podcast. Um, but I don't know if there's anything, um, is anything in particular you would like to know about 
you know, have the listeners respond to in order to, to what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to break these things up because there's these great four different pattern packs that are just so cool. And, um, and we have a couple other little goodies here. And, um, that I, I'm going to be uh, giving these away. And so I think it'll be really fun. Is there anything you want me to ask the listeners? What would be a good question? Because it can oh, be... A little put on the spot. Yeah, sure I know, because I was trying to think of something embroidery-related. Um, I mean, I don't know if we could ask them what the wildest thing they embroidered was, You know, whether it be, be an one. item of clothing or uh, the, the pattern itself. And, uh, yeah, or it, it could be like, what's the strangest thing you've ever, ever embroidered, tried to embroider with? Okay, the strangest thing you've ever tried to embroider with, meaning the what they used to do it or what what they were embroidering on oh we could leave it open okay just tell us your either, wildest either your one. wildest stitching adventure yes and um yeah <laughs> well this would be interesting to see what people say yeah <laughs> I can't wait yeah because i have a roommate um my college roommate um stitched um nipples onto a brassiere for one of her <laughs> one of her uh, it was an art project it was a oh, wearable art project and i did something less inventive i i just glued rocks onto a pair of um le faux leather leather pants you know <laughs> we had to we had to model our stuff and she of course she modeled hers over a shirt to be modest you know and i um got up on this little we made a runway out of these tables and i when i stepped up onto the table my pants were a little too tight a rock flew off and hit one of the the spectators you know so i was like wow this is not going Going well but anyway but yeah so we can see what kind of wild adventures people have had with their embroidery i know this will be really interesting yeah and if they haven't had any wild adventures yet you know I, we can refer them to your website to get some uh tattoo quality patterns yes. to iron on to their yes. uh, to make some rock and tea towels or whatever else they want um, to do so well jenny i am i've really enjoyed this and I, I i thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and I'm really happy for the folks at home, too, especially those who have been asking for you. Oh, <laughs> so, well, thank you. Yeah. It was, it, I really enjoyed it, too. It was really fun to talk to you. Yeah. And, and hi to everybody. And, uh, and, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to tell before I get off the Yeah, phone, but... I don't know. I mean, do you have any other um, big projects coming up? Anything else you want people to look for or know? Or, or know? Oh, it sounds like you have a newsletter people can sign up for if they want to. Yes, we have, we have a newsletter that I, I, I write, and I try to um, – it's really the best way to find out what's going on with us. And how often does that um, come out? Uh, let's see. Well, I try to send that out at least once a month, okay. maybe twice a month. Um, every now and then I'll send out like a little, and it, I usually, it's usually pretty, you know, it's got like pictures and stuff, but very often I'll send out like a little bullet announcement every now and then. Um, <clears throat> let's see. The blog, Jessica helps with the blog, so we try and keep that updated. There's always, um, you know, there's the Crafter Sublime Stitching Group. There are discussion and photo pools on Flickr. There is the Sublime Stitching Embroidery Pool. There's also um, the Tea Towel Tours Embroidery Pool. Yeah, that sounds really great. So are those still going on where people um, can they start, people can just start their own and send it around? People can friends. just start their own. Yeah. It completely took on a life of its own. It was something that we did to test a tea towel for quality and see if people liked it. And so we said, well, let's like do a, I think it was, I think it was actually Mary's idea that we send it to you know, a group of people, kind of chain letter style, and each person would embroider on it. The sad thing is, it didn't come back. Yeah, that, and that person that didn't send it back must feel like a real jerk. Um, uh, not I don't know. Yeah. Well, who who knows? We just it's it's unknown. That's disappointing, what though. To the yeah, that's disappointing. And then there was a group of stitchers that recently did one without telling me, and then they and then the last person was here in Austin. Yeah, and she brought the towel. To I me. read about that. That was very sweet. Yeah. You know, and I didn't, that raised a question, too, that I forgot about. Um, now, what kind of, what does your, um, your business location look like? I mean, what kind of, what kind of facility <laughs> are you guys in? You? Mm, <laughs> well, 
I will, okay. Well, this is always hard for me to admit because sublime switching operations are still at my home. Really? Um, you Why is it hard? That, I mean, I think that's surprising to all of us who think you're in like this big, huge, you know, fortress. However, I think that actually makes it more charming. Well, it, it's going to change soon, but I also really have to explain that my house is kind of like a duplex. Okay. Um, the office is actually what used to be our former band practice space. Okay. It's, it's a sizable office. I'm very, very lucky to have this space. It has its own door to the outside. And, um, I mean, because if it were actually, like, in my house, there's just no way. It would just, it's, it's, and, and we're outgrowing it. We're actually looking for an off-site office space. And, um, and yeah, I, I was in there, and I actually had to move out. I'm actually back in – my office is actually back in the house where it used to be. <laughs> I felt like I moved up where I was like, yay, I'm now in the big roomy office on the other side of the house, and things got so crowded in there I had to, I had to move back in. So you, moved, so you kicked yourself out of the office then. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that makes the commute pretty easy. It does. You know. I almost hit a cat this morning. <laughs> you save a little um, bit of money on gas. I hear it's really expensive <laughs> out there by you guys. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know. I'm, I'm always hesitant to tell people that just because, you know, for some, some reason people, there's such a stigma about that where they think, like, well, you can't possibly be successful then. And, you know, it's just actually been a really great way for us to control overhead and, yeah. and keep our costs low um, by not really needing to do that. I, you know, I, I really am not interested in in opening a retail store, but I would love to have a space where I could hold workshops. And so that's actually what we're looking for right now. We're looking at, at acquiring a, a second space so we can we can comfortably operate and offer workshops, and we're just seeing if we can afford it. We yeah, well, I hope you can afford it because I think workshops would be wonderful. I, I would like that. Yeah, that I think really people great. would fly in to learn how to stitch from Jenny That Hart. would be, that'd be so yeah. great, and, and, and have stitching groups. Yeah. yeah. Well, best of luck with that. That sounds wonderful, and I think obviously you know your success is well documented. So well, don't worry, don't feel bad when you're you know sitting there in your slippers at your desk. Uh, my dream is actually to work exclusively out <laughs> I of my brush home. My teeth. Yeah, I mean, because I, I go to a day job during the day, and it, I have definitely kept my day job. I'm not as resourceful as some of you craft mafia ladies here who, well, who have been able to you know really turn something into a wonderful business. But it's great. It's it's so inspiring too to Thank watch you. what you guys have done. So. Well, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate that. Thanks to Jenny for sharing her story with us. So I hope you guys are all inspired to get stitching. I know I've, I've been on a huge embroidery kick that I don't think is going to end anytime soon. And I'm really happy to give you guys a chance to win some goodies from Jenny Hart. There will be multiple winners. Basically, what I'd like you to do is go to craftsanity.com and post a comment under the write-up for episode 77. Just leave a comment. Tell us about your wildest stitching experience. What is maybe the strangest thing you've stitched on? Or, you know, what, what have you used as a medium that's been kind of unusual? Um, or what do you hope to do? What, what are your plans? I don't want to leave anybody out who hasn't had the embroidery experience yet. If you have a wild idea, you want to tell us about it, please do. The deadline to enter this random drawing is going to be May 10th, 2008. I hope you all enter the contest and follow the links over to Visit Sublime Stitching. Also, while you're on Craft Sanity, make sure you download that free project. It's a pattern that you can download and stitch. Before I let Jenny play us out with a song, I'd just like to say that I survived my little TV experience. had a little issue with my sinuses going on at the time, so I was trying to will myself to not cough for five whole minutes and... And the condition I was in at that particular time, five minutes was a long time for me to go without coughing. So 
I did end up having a little coughing jag in the middle of it. They had to stop and kind of restart, but they were totally cool about it. Brought Barra, the host of Knit and Crochet Today, was really great. She's also the editor of Crochet Today, which is a great crochet magazine. So it was really fun to get to meet her and also meet Kristen Nicholas in person. And it was also great to meet Candy Jensen, the producer of the PBS series Knit and Crochet Today that's going to start airing this fall, I believe. I don't have an air date for the particular episode that I'm going to be on for just very a very short time. But I'll got, let you guys know when it comes out. Uh, that was really fun to get a chance to talk about my podcast on TV. And I have to say Detroit PBS totally rocks. The people that produce that show and work behind the scenes, behind the cameras, very nice. I was only there a short time, but they made me feel very comfortable. I got a lot of projects going. I've been, you know, continuing to post on the blog every day. So head over to craftsanity.com to see what I'm up to. Still writing my craft column for the paper every week. I write a craft column for the Grand Rapids Press. And usually every Sunday or Monday I will post the links on the blog craftsanity.com to kind of direct you over there. So if you're interested in seeing the crafty things I'm doing at work, uh, head over there. I will be back soon with another podcast. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. And now we're going to let Jenny Hart and Tim Brown play us out with a song that Tim wrote about his mom. The song's called The End. Tim's on vocals and Jenny's singing backup and playing bass. Thank you, Jenny, for sharing this song with us. (laughs) 